And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. So, Baron Davis uh, is going to be here in a little while. And he's the first guest on The Moment that uh, I haven't met before. I kind of feel like I know him, as I'm sure you do if you're even slightly an NBA fan. And if if you want to get to know him quickly, you should go uh, and watch The Comeback, which is this seven-part um, sort of documentary. Uh, they call it a mockumentary, but I think it's some weird hybrid. It's it's right there in between a documentary and a mockumentary about um, where Barron finds himself in his life uh, post-NBA. And uh, I think it's an incredibly brave and pretty remarkable uh, little documentary. Little just because there are these four or five-minute uh, chunks. But uh, as I watch that thing, uh, I find myself entertained and also uh, emotionally engaged in in who Barron is and in, in the fact that he's um, showing us in a way that I don't think we've really seen before what that moment just after retirement feels like. I mean, it, it's done tongue-in-cheek, but you can feel uh, the real emotions there. Uh, at least that, that's what I pick up, and I'm, I'm excited to talk to him about it. Uh, Barron is a superstar in the NBA, a two-time All-Star, uh, College Player of the Year at UCLA, national champion, accomplished pretty much everything you could hope to accomplish uh, on any sort of uh, athletic court. And um, I don't want to take up a lot of, t- of this time uh, doing an intro. Uh, I just want to talk to Barron. He'll be here soon, and uh, and we'll get right into it. Thanks for listening. I introduced you. Uh, I did a little pre-introduction, so uh, we'll just start. Okay. So, okay, Baron, uh, Baron Davis is here. Baron, thanks for coming. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm great. I'm uh, thrilled to have you in here. You're the first person uh, I've had in here who I don't know at all. Okay. So it's going to be yeah. Uh, it's going to be fun for me to get to ask questions really as an outsider. Okay. But what's interesting about you, um, and I think it's something that was unique when you started playing is it, it seemed like you really wanted to let people know who you were yeah was that a choice uh i mean it was just it was just who i you know who i was you know um coming up i just wanted to uh i wanted people to know where i was from you know i wanted to represent la and uh just you know you know like my upbringing and my background because when I was coming up, I knew that it was a lot of young dudes in my uh, in my area and in the greater Los Angeles community that was looking up to me. So you know, I I, I wanted I wanted to have you know like my stand. I wanted to I wanted to take a stand as far as like who I was and represent it as far as in the league. You know, so a lot of my like I call them my young bros. A lot of my young bros can see and be close to, you know, that NBA lifestyle. So as they in high school, you know, they have something to, you know, aspire to be and achieve. Yeah, that 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 makes total sense to me that you would be like a beacon for them yeah. to follow in a way. But it, it also seemed like you made a choice, and maybe it was just who you were, um, to let people see how smart you were and that you were aware of everything. Yeah, you know, sometimes it worked against me, you know, um, 
uh, you know, I went to a private school and, and you were encouraged to, you know, speak out against authority and, you know, voice your opinion. Everybody had an, an opinion and a valid point. And, you know, it was like a gift and a curse because, you know, being from South Central, you know, it's a whole thing about, you know, not being punked, you know, and being yes. tough. And then, like, you go to a school like Crossroads and then it's like, you know, you can't be intellectually punk. Like your your brain is just as important or just as big as anybody else. So when I got to the league, it was like I was very outspoken. You know, I was young, but I was outspoken. And and, and you know, with me, it was like I knew what I knew, and I stood by what I what I kind of felt. And a lot of times, you know, at that particular time, you know, things weren't really uh, always perceived well. You know, uh, when I was since you know when I was fighting with management or. What, you know, whatever a team was trying to say, it was just me being outspoken and not not really going to sit there and just let somebody dictate to me or tell me, like, what I should be thinking and how I should be feeling. Yeah, you were you were brave in that way. And then, but you, you know, when, if you look at the, the athletes who were willing to do that before you in, in basketball, if you look at someone like Jabbar, he had to almost take, like, a constant... Um, adversarial position though even with the media whereas you somehow struck this balance of being like friendly and inviting uh-huh. at the same time as you were drawing these lines you think it was just the times finally like allowed that to be the case yeah you know I, I definitely think so I think the times allowed it and then also you know for me like dealing with the media is you know I'm not one I'm not out for for fame you know, I'm not, I'm not out for fame. I'm just, I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to live in my world the way that I live, whether, you know, I'm high on a pedestal or nobody's paying attention. I'm still going to be the same person. So I think with me and, and the media is like, you re- you respect him because it's an outlet. And at the same time, you know, some people are good people. Some people are, are you know, have a, have a job to do. I'm not saying that they're bad people, but, you know, some people have a job to do and, and, everybody is kind of like in this fight to be more popular and get more followers and you know things like that so for me it was just like you know i'll be as 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 inviting as i possibly can because i you know i love to like joke around and you know conversate with people so you know that is something that i that i'll never shy away from because you know it's uh it's easy for me to kind of open up and speak to people you know no matter what the situation is yeah, it seemed like you made a choice to connect, like as opposed to making it just all about bringing people to you. wanted to con- actually have connection and not just make it a transaction where you're trying to gain something. Right. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, like I said, I'm not out to really gain nothing but just the respect for my peers, you know, and and that's what I set out in the league to do. Is, uh, you know, I think about my second year. I, I said if I can retire, and and have the respect of the people that I respect and the games that I, and and the people whose game I respect, you know, and have respect from, you know, just great coaches and great, great basketball minds. And that's all I really, you know, that's all I really wanted. Um, You know, you get injuries, you you never know the way the ball is going to bounce, but if you can have respect, if you can look people in the eye and they can look you in the eye and at the end of the day, have respect for you, you know, uh, that's bigger than anything. Well, you got. I mean, you did that. Yeah. You must feel like you did that, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I did, and and um, you know, right now I'm just feeling like, you know, I still got a little bit left to to prove. Um, there, there's there's this final chapter that hasn't been written yet, and you know, for me, uh, 
this is the biggest challenge, you know, up until this point, this is the biggest challenge in my life, you know, coming back. So, you know, it, it, it's still that last chapter and it's a matter of like, how am I, how am I going to write it? You, you mean uh, trying to, you, you mean the time after basketball or do you mean actually trying to come back and play? Actually trying to come back and play. But that's interesting, you know, so I, the, this show is called The Moment and what I, I try to talk about is like key moments in people's lives, mm-hmm. like the inflection point. And I know with you, there are a, a few, it seems to me, like, yeah. you know, moving obviously to your grandmother's. Uh-huh. Going to Crossroads, which uh-huh. I definitely want to talk about because I heard this great story okay. about you at Crossroads. And, um, and then this thing now, and then the moment now. Well, well, but just to, I want to go back to this one thing about your, your personality uh, because I was talking to, do you know Elvis Mitchell, the film critic and uh-huh, uh-huh. the guy who has the treatment on yeah. him? He's a, a great guy, and, and uh, we were talking about you today. And okay. he said, um, he's like, I think that Barron paved the way from a personality standpoint for LeBron. Uh-huh. And he was like, I don't think, he said, you know, I think LeBron looked at what Barron did and realized that he could be friendly but strong yeah. and show people how capable he was of thinking his own way. Do you see that at all? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it'd be great to take credit for that, but, I, you know, LeBron is, is a smart kid and, and you know, uh, when he first got in the league, you know, him and I had had a really great relationship and respect and admiration for each other. And, you know, I just think that he is just like the ultimate statement, statesman in the league because of the way he handles the media and, and, and how he doesn't really let them get under his skin. He's a smart dude. And you have to have some smarts and some savvy and some wit to be able to keep the media at a distance and also, like, not let them affect, you know, how you live your life well so the come yes that, yeah. so the comeback well we we'll, we're gonna get to crossroads oh, yeah. uh, but so if we if we look at this as sort of like this moment in your life uh-huh. now where you're you're um you're talking about coming back yeah yet you created this series the comeback right uh-huh. you, it was your idea yeah and i said at the beginning of this uh my introduction that uh people should watch it and that you know tnt is selling it as a mockumentary uh-huh but I, I think it's somewhere in between. It's very, it cuts very close to the bone, doesn't it? Yeah. In terms of your, even though it's funny, in terms yeah. of your real emotions. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it was, you know, something that I wanted to do for the fans to, you know, uh, sometimes you, you want to bring people close, and you don't want, you know, it's not all about like. There's other ways to inspire people without making them cry or making them feel sad or making them feel sorry for you. You know, um, I'm not one to feel sorry for myself. So in the comeback, it was just, you know, let's get let's get people up close and personal and let's make this fun and exciting and, and really show you know, what this journey is all about. Yeah, but it seems like, if you compare it to the finish line, Uh which is right, Steve Nash's series, and I know you guys did a little crossover thing, Uh and uh, he was in your uh, thing. Yeah, he was in the first episode. Which is hilarious. Uh, But it it seems like, in a way, yeah, it's it's, um, a closing moment uh, on your playing career, but it also serves as a real introduction to film people, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. In terms of transitioning to this <laughs> yeah, other thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't it serve both purposes? Yeah, it, it does. You know, and uh, I would say over the last two years since I've been injured, I've been kind of flirting back and forth. You know, am I coming back? You know, I put all my focus in on this workout and come back, or do I need a little bit more time so I can put my focus 
in on something else, you know, because my body's not right. So, you know, and this thing, it, 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 it pokes at the NBA. It, it pokes at teasing to come back to the NBA. And then it also shows, you know, that there's fun and entertainment in basketball. And, you know, there, there's a, uh, there's a comedic element to, you know, the game and to guys' personality. So for me, it's just like, I want to be that guy that kind of, you know, uh, opens up the gate for, you know, the Hollywood to basketball the, the and, and, and be able to show and express that personality, but also bring that out in other players. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of funny guys in the NBA. And I think that, you know, with this comeback show, it's, it, it's an opportunity for other guys to, you know, be funny and, and be comfortable in well, front of the camera. Um, yeah, the fact that you made Yao, but, but as a, just as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, a lot, yeah, there may be a lot of funny guys, but most of the time when athletes try to be funny, yeah. It's either in service of some commercial endeavor, right? right. So it's right. actually selling something, and mm-hmm. so then they have to be really goofy, right, and unthreatening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or the jokes really are wooden, right? But I mean, you showed real um, control of the tone of that as a filmmaker. Like how much, how much, right? I mean, your smile wish we would see, yeah. because obviously you thought about it, yeah. a lot, very and much. And only people who make stuff for a living uh-huh. can understand, right. You really, I mean, you really did a thing with that. Yeah. Like, you, um, and uh, I think a pretty, I don't know any athlete who's as, cl- as, as close to his playing days as you are, uh-huh. who really, like, allowed himself to look foolish uh-huh. on purpose. Uh-huh. Like, what made you decide, like, okay, I'm going to point out... Because Steve's thing is like so serious, yeah. and moving. Yeah, yeah, it's very. Yeah, it's and very here moving. you are with your agent, like telling you, uh, I don't have any more contacts in the NBA, and <laughs> yeah, not even really offering you a kid to play right. in China. Right, right. Because um, even now, when you're telling me you're thinking about a comeback, I don't really believe you. Because, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> because the <laughs> because the the show is clearly a guy who's going. Here's a subtle way that I can actually show you. I'm not a poser. I'm a f- I can become a filmmaker. Yeah. So like where are you really on that continuum? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's real, man. It's real. It's real and it's really happening. You know, I'm I'm it's a long process being out and being hurt. So coming back, it's a real process. But at the same time, like I don't mind putting my hat in, you know, for a couple a couple of film roles if the, you know, if 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 this is my rookie year. Yeah, as far as being a filmmaker, uh, you know, and a content maker, I, I kind of like, I'm enjoying this, uh, this rookie season. And, uh, for me, it's just, you know, I want, I want people to know that, hey, like, this guy is funny. Like, you know, there's, there's something, there's something to, you know, what, what I'm doing. And, and it's not just like, you know, throwing something on the wall. It, it, there's a, uh, like you said, there's a certain type of control, but a certain type of intellect and something that 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 invites people to kind of make fun you know kind of make fun of me make fun of the situation or make fun of the the, the character that I'm portraying yes. you know what i mean yeah. it's not like you know uh and I think that's where, you know, with the TNC thing, it's like people call it a mockumentary because it's like, okay, that is, that is Baron Davis. He is coming back. But, like, can, you know, can he really not get in Kenny Smith's party? Oh, of course. <laughs> like, of course he get to the party. You know, is he really searching for fame and begging Yao Ming to, like, you know. Yeah, but that's why I think the thing is kind of, um, like, uh, if, 
if you know if some French guy uh, for, you know was writing Truffaut was writing about this or something, you know they would talk about it as uh, a meditation yeah. on sort of like the existential crisis an athlete faces, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, I know yes. you know that. Yes, yes, yeah. And and so, at, how can you be making that and then seriously going like I'm gonna. I'm going to do this. And I wonder if it's just like you've thrown yourself these, you just love these impossible challenges, which basically, is both. Basically. <laughs> basically. And I think, you know, that that's the good thing about about the show is it is just, it like rides that fine line, you know? So so when I, when uh, I talked to Mike Tolan and, and we partnered with Funny or Die, and then when it came about, it was like, you know, I'm already working out. And then when it's, when the show started going, you know, I really got into the character and got into, you know, uh, just kind of like, spont- you know, and, and a lot of it was just spontaneous. It's like, hey, you know, the Clippers have a day off and, you know, they got a team meeting. You know, can you be in Norwalk, you know, 45 minutes away from my house? Can you be there in an hour? It's like, dude, hell no. I'm working out. You right. know? <laughs> but nobody believes that. So it's like, yeah, OK, I can go. And then you, and then I go down there and kind of. Doc Doc Rivers and I we kind of just coach you know I yeah. coach him through through the scene and um you know it's just all it's all well, pretty much you, all improv. Oh, you can see that, and that you can see that you're able to as an actor. Now, now who's directing him? Is Tolan directing him? No, no, no. Tolan is produ- producing uh, and Funny or Die, uh, a, a, a good young director uh, named Alex Alex Rickenbach. And then. Uh, and you're calling and kind of getting the people to come in and, that, and do the thing. Well, no, that's what Tolan was doing. Tolan did a great job of that. You know, I I didn't. Uh, I was seeing guys uh, during All Star Weekend and just running up to them and approaching them. But you know, it was just a it was a real collaborative team effort. It was kind of just like it was cool because it, it was it was real guerrilla shooting. It was just yes. like, hey, we got so and so or so and so is in town. Like, you know, what what can we do with James Harden? What can we do? You know, and as just, soon as you came up with the idea, you knew that you were going to ride the line. You knew it wasn't going to be an earnest um, take on you trying to come back. You knew you were going to do the flip side of what Steve was doing in a way. Yeah, definitely. I was going to do the, the flip side of what Steve was doing. I think that, uh, you know, having having an experienced producer like uh, Mike Tolan to work with, you know, he he pushed me more back towards, you know, the the reality of it. And he, you know, he wanted to get up close and personal in the workouts to where I'm like, yo, dude, like these are my workouts. Like I can do the funny stuff and I can do the, the workouts and keep them separate. But I think that, you know, he had a great idea of just like, you know, bringing it all together and really, you know, exposing yourself to the fans. Well, yeah. And as you, con- as you sort of this thing contemplates this idea of you being really an outsider, whether it's now, let's say you come back and you get another year. Yeah. Um, but as you think about being really an outsider, how does it how does it hit you? Uh, it's different. The way I see it is like, you know, here's this huge, you know, cargo ship, yeah. and you know, it's moving, and I'm, you know, I'm slowly moving to the back, you know, and and eventually, you know, the ship is going to keep sailing, and you got to jump off in order to get healthy to ca- you know to catch back up. So, you know, being being a, on the outside, you know, you're just you're in the middle of nowhere. You're in no man's land. So you're, you're, you're looking and you're seeing your peers and you're seeing them play. And you go to the games, you're like, yo, I can play, I can play. But it's just you're not ready yet. And then um, as you get a year away, as you get two years away, then it's like, whoa, like that 
that ship is pretty far. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty far out there, dude. So now it's just a matter of, you know, getting in that boat and stu- and, and, and getting to work to catch back up. Do you, do you think that your life experience um, and the ways in which you had to adapt quickly to very different circumstances and circumstances that were really polar opposites mm-hmm. has prepared you to, as you think about sort of what happens Absolutely. Next. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, uh, I've had a lot of a lot of moments and critical moments in my life. You know, I can start all the way back from when I was like five and, you know, eight and, and, and ten. And I think all of those really shape and mold and build your character. And when I got hurt, I remember when I got hurt. Um, if you watch the tape, you'll see me laughing. Like I'm laying on the ground laughing. And my teammates, you know, Melo and Mari, and, right. you know, J.R. Smith, he couldn't even look. Even LeBron, even the look on LeBron and D-Way's face, they're like, damn, dude, like, I can't, you know, like, this is devastating. And for me, when I was falling, I was like, man, ain't this, can I cuss? I was like, ain't this about a Right. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. Like, I was like, you're are like, you serious? I, I was like, are you serious, It hasn't man? been enough. Yeah, I haven't, yeah. Yeah. Like, damn, dude. You know, just one more, one more week, one more week of, of staying healthy. And then it's, you know, it's a different two years after that. And I was just like, oh, man, you know, it's like, you know, kick the man, kick a man when he down. So I just started laughing. And they were like, man, why are you, why are you laughing? And, and I knew that. You know, I had to laugh and, and, and crack jokes in order to distract them. So I wasn't even thinking about, like, the injury. It was already done. Like, let me distract my teammates. Was so. that a point guard thing to yeah, distract Yeah, yeah. It was just like, way? man, we can win this game. We can win this game. And, like, if I'm not going to be able to play again, like, I'd, I'd at least, you know, like for us to, you know, win our first playoff game with the Knicks. And, um... You know, yeah. I'm a I'm a lifelong fanatical Knicks fan. Yeah. So I was uh, it's a very ugly yeah. and hard yeah. life as a Knicks fan. Yeah. And It'll get better so though. Was, It'll get better. Well, yeah. I mean, you were you, I want to talk about that, but I don't want to dwell on that. I want to go back to this thing of the transitions in in your life because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, you know, even from the outside, you know, people here where they'll watch a documentary, but I don't think people really understand. I know I don't even what it actually takes to like start where you started mm-hmm. and to get to man that. it's a it's a miracle it's a blessing it's like you know a lot of luck a lot of being in the right place at the right time a lot of walking away from situations that's you huge know, you know you have to you have to have enough courage you know an, enough courage and enough self-awareness to know when to walk away and when to say no to somebody and um how to you know hold value within yourself and you know, a lot of times what happens is when you're young, you seem to chase things. You know, you want to chase the crowd. Oh, it's over there. It's happening. Oh, I want to be over there. Oh, they're over there. It's flashy. It's blinging. I want to be over there. Oh, that guy is smart. You know, he's so-and-so. I need to be with him instead of just saying, you know what? I need to stay in tune to who I am, you know? And for me, um, as I was growing up, I didn't necessarily have, uh, 
you know, the prototypical family structure or, or even the, the typical NBA structure where you're sheltered and you're nurtured. It was just, you know, kind of me making all the decisions in my life. I and mean, you had, you had steady love from your grandmother. Yeah, my right? grandmother was there the whole time, but she didn't really know much about basketball right. or understand like the, you know, she didn't even, she had no idea the world that I was living in. She knew me. And like, that was the key because she could just weigh in on what I was doing or how or how I felt. Right, you wouldn't bring the world in, really. No, I like you know I would I would tease the world to her. So you know, uh, my whole thing was like I wanted if you wanted to get to know me, you got to get to know my grandmother. So right, even right. when I was getting recruited, you know, I made all the coaches come to uh, my my grandmother's house and we had all our meetings there. And you know. As soon as the coach leaves, she was like, "Oh, that was great! Like that was a nice young man." She was like, "But you know, it's a college right up here, up the street. You know, UCLA." Right. I was yeah. like, "Do you even know if UCLA have a good basketball?" She was like, "It doesn't even matter. You need to go to school here." But what's interesting is, and this gets to this story that I'd heard about you. So, you know, because of what I do, sometimes I'm in situations with actors, actresses, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not friends with Kate Hudson, but I spent a morning at with her at her house once. We uh -huh. had this meeting. And I, I I don't know if you're still aware of like what a crucial role you played in her her life. I mean, uh, I mean it's vice versa. It's vice versa, yeah. I mean, so she tells the story that you guys were and, and I'd love to hear that you guys were like best friends in yeah. high school. Yeah. And that that you recognized in her what she said is that nobody believed in you but you at a certain point. Right. Before what year did you become was it senior year that you grew and you became Yeah, it was yeah, it was my senior year. So what happened? Like, so you you grew up in South Central uh, in mm -hmm. uh, in the a very really difficult part of South Central, yeah, right? Yeah. And you had to find a way to walk away walk away from all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And then you got to go to Crossroads, which is one of the most elite private schools in the country. Right. Yeah. Seventh grade. You know, because when uh, you graduate from elementary, then you go to middle school. You know, when you're in South Central, that's when you become a man because now you got to ride the bus, you got to go to school, you got to deal with gangs, you know, you got to find your way to school and then you got to find your way home and you have to learn how to deal with problems. So, you know, there was going to be problems just because of the neighborhood that I grew up with, of course. because of the people that I hung with, because of my personality as a kid. And my grandmother was like, I can't have that. This kid needs to go somewhere else. And so when Crossroads came about, you know, it was like, the t a total different situation, you know, and it was like, whoa, I'm thrust into this world where I really am like disarmed. And I don't, you know, these people like go to Martha's Vineyard, you know, yeah. like, what did you do in the summer? And like, oh, we went to South Africa. Oh, we went to Martha's Vineyard. What did you do, Baron? Uh, I stayed in South Central and, and, and played dominoes with my uncles. <laughs> whoa. I mean, how did you? So, I mean, I'll, I'll, plenty of people don't really thrive in that transition yeah i mean what so how did you how did you process it and then how did you process like looking at those people as other human beings almost like well they were going through the same things that i was going through you know as a kid that didn't really have any parents and was raised by my grandparents you know you you feel a, a sense of embarrassment you feel a sense of loneliness and you and you it's hard to connect with who you are so every day I would go to school, I would start to realize that a lot of these kids' parents were never around. Oh, that's fascinating. And so the, na so the nannies and, you know, the uh, 
the stepmoms who, you know, the new stepmoms were taking care of these kids, but they they were never really present and had a, had a, had a presence in their life. So we were sharing in the same loneliness, you know. So that's great. That's I think that allowed me to connect with a lot of the kids because they saw me as like. Here's this guy. I was the smallest kid in the grade, you know, five, smallest three, and ninth kid grade. In the grade. Yeah, yeah. five, three, and ninth grade, five, 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 and tenth grade, 130 pounds. So everybody was like, oh, little B. But I had a lot of, you know, I had a, just a lot of courage because I knew that, you know, every day that I crossed the 405, you know, I was in Disneyland. And then the next day when I went, and then at night when I crossed the 110, I was alert. So I was always like, I was always present and I had to be present in order to, so my, my so whole thing to be was like a, There was a total duality or even yeah. more like a multiplicity going yeah. on in yeah. you where you had to be a lot of different. Right. I had a, it was just a lot of different responsibilities within myself. And it was like, you know, I had to make good grades in order to stay in crossroads. You know, I had to like hang with my homeboys, but not because, you know, you, you love them, but you, it's just certain things you can and can't do. Then there's basketball. Yes. Then there's my grandparents, you know, then there's, you know, the relationship with my parents that I really didn't have. And like, they were in and out my life. So it was just like, you know, just dealing with like all, all these different responsibilities. And then at the same time, like, trying to figure out who you are you know yeah. <laughs> yeah and and as that did you did you find it easy to make friends with with those people yeah the first year was tough the first year was tough because i was just like you know i'm black they're white i'm from south central we have nothing in common they're rich i'm poor and then you know i would say about mid midway or uh three quarters through my seventh grade year it was just you know, here, you know, here comes Kate and here comes Kate giving me a hard time. She still gives me a hard time to this day. And in class, did you do your homework there? And like, right. uh, yeah, like I did. She was like, well, what's the answer for so-and-so? I'm like, dude, are you the teacher? Are you quizzing me? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you. And she would get so upset. <laughs> she is so what she said. She said that she looked at you as like the thing that mattered the most to her there. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and she said that before, I guess at sometime in eleventh grade, she was. You would say to her, "I'm going to play in the NBA and I'm going to yeah. go play D1." And you were five, yeah. five. You said yeah, five, 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 seven. Yeah. And she said she would go home at night and put her head down, and she's like, "And all I would think about was like little B. Like, yeah. what's he going to do?" Right. And she said you looked at her. I guess the summer that you were working super hard was it like eleventh uh -huh. to twelfth uh -huh. grade? Yeah. And she said you looked at her one day and you said. Um, you and me are the same. Like, did yeah. do you remember this? Yeah, what totally, happened? Totally. What you? Uh, I mean, it it, it started yeah, what was all the way argument? back in, in seventh grade, like when we really got tight. But towards our senior year, like we were both, you know, like at, you know, because at the school, if you have a special talent, you're gonna you. There's a lot of special people, you know. Yeah. But you're gonna kind of stand out. And uh, her and I, we were we were very very similar because you know there were people who loved us and people who just like hated us because we were different. Because you had something different in your we mind. Yeah, we had something different. It was a different focus. It was a different goal. She was like a lot more mature than you know any other eleventh or twelfth grader in like the history of the world. So so people so her, so your peers don't really understand the your mission that you're on. And and I remember saying it to her i was like yo we're a lot alike you know like i i know like we're destined 
for, you know, something good and to be something really good because we're already there. We haven't gotten there yet, but we're already there. Like, you know, she's she's already, you know, in, you know, uh, having roles in movies and she's already, you know, she's she is it. She's an actress. She's a, she's an A-list star already. And it's just a matter of her like getting to the that world recognition. Yeah, yeah. And, and I felt like that was the same for me being at this small school like Crossroads. It was like, oh, I'm 5'10 now. I have arrived. You know, I have arrived. <laughs> like, five, ten. Yeah. At Calvin Murphy's that's, height, yeah, that's all I arrived. needed. That's all I needed because now I'm, you know, I'm dunking. I'm playing with the pros. You know, they consider me like one of their little brothers. So I'm, I can see it and I'm there, but I haven't got there yet. And she said the world hadn't quite recognized it yet. Like yeah. UCLA hadn't quite, it all hadn't quite nah, happened yet. And she was worried about you. And she said the two of you had this moment in the school where you felt like outsiders, where it was like, oh, they're crazy. Yeah. You know, like you saying you guys knew you were already there, but from the outside, that could look insane. Right, exactly. Like, because Baron's only 5'10", and yeah, Kate's parents are who they are. Yeah. And then she says the end of this story, which she said was one of the most emotional moments of her life, was in New Orleans. Yeah, Do you yeah. remember uh-huh. it? What happened? She was, well, she was pregnant. And she was at the game. <laughs> yeah, she, she said she had game. shot almost famous yeah. had already come yeah. out. And she had become, yeah, she had become Kate, Kate Hudson, yeah, and Kate you had Hudson. become an NBA superstar. Yeah. And then she came to the game in New Orleans, and uh, she was like, hey, I'm in New Orleans. And I was like, you have to, you know, you have to come to the game. And, like, she's sitting there at the game, and I'm playing. And, like, you know, I go down the court, and I do something. I look over, and I wink, and I start laughing. And she starts dying laughing. And then, like, from that point on, from that night, like, all we did was hang out and just, like, laugh the whole night. Because it was just like, dude, can you believe? Can you believe? She was like, I cannot believe, like, I just saw you play. I was like, I I know. Yeah, like, she this said is, when like, you winked surreal. at her. Yeah. She said when you winked at her. It felt to her like you and she were both again back at that place, yeah. and like you had both really yeah. done this. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing, right? And and, you, and we always have like you know a, a great relationship like that where we always like check in. There's always like these checkpoints and moments in our lives where it's like, hey, like it's okay. You know what I mean? Like if I'm going through something and I get hurt, you know, she'll just randomly you know call or come by and be like, you know, like. Dude, what are you doing? Like, are you doing your rehab? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, Really? Yeah. She's still, like, she's on top of you always, about this stuff? Always, always, You always. didn't put her in the comeback, though. No. <laughs> if you do, she ended up doing one more. She's too big time. <laughs> really? She can't. Because it'd be great if she showed up yeah, to make sure you're, you know. It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. Yeah, stop filming and get back, uh, get back <laughs> right. in the gym. That's, you know? ex- that's exactly what she was saying. So when you became a senior and it started happening for you, did you, uh, when, did you know, like, okay, when did it become like, okay, I can do, this my is really year, happening? My senior year in high school. My senior year of high school, when, like, college coaches start coming and, uh, you know, a couple NBA scouts start coming to practice, uh, I was like, yo, I'm, you know, I'm there. I'm there. I'm I'm definitely there. And I thought about going pro out of high school. It was just like I was, you know, I, I was just in love with going to college and, and being a college student. And, I, you know, my plan was to go to college and stay four years. But, you know, once I got hurt, I had to had to rethink that. But. You know, I was just in love with college and college basketball, and I wanted to be a part well, of it. Well, obviously, that. you did something very important at UCLA, so you yeah. got to be glad that you. <laughs> you got to be glad you went there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. UCLA was very special, always, always. And then, you know, everything uh, obviously led up to. I think another one of the great moments is that obviously the dunk in 
2007. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as do you consider that? Sort of like uh, one of the career highlights that moment. Did I mean, you think it the ini- sort of like <laughs> initially defined you in a way. I, I, I guess. I mean, I uh, I don't really. I mean, it was just a play, to be honest. Yeah, you no, know, the game was, wasn't in. Yeah, I mean, was, you guys yeah, were winning was, by yeah, a lot. Was, we were winning by a lot, and it was a play. But it was like one of those plays. Like, wow, I just had like one of those moments in NBA playoff history that you know people are going to talk about for years to come. But yeah, I, I felt like that year was um, was a long year, and and it was finally an, an opportunity and a chance for me to say, you know what, I believe I belong in elite company, and I think that you know that dunk and 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 just that playoff run in that moment was something for me to like build on. You know, it was like, damn, like finally, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm I'm finally there with everybody else, and people are starting to pay attention. And when during that uh, that whole thing did you? Because it does seem like as as your career went on, you would talk about the movie thing mm-hmm. and transitioning into this part of uh, part of life. Right. At various times, like I could find interviews where you were talking about yeah. it a long time ago. Yeah. How how much was that on, on your mind? Like I'm well, going to do this that, thing, yeah. and then I'm going to not be one of those guys who doesn't know. Who just goes right into the broadcast booth? Who doesn't know? Yeah, I, I mean, it was just like I, I knew what I wanted to do. You know, I knew I, I, I love stories. Uh, uh, you know, I love the Hollywood. You know, making of movies and 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 just the life. The you know the just the process. I, I really like enjoy like watching the process and and being a student of the process. So for me, it was just like I know what I want to do, and I have all these like funny characters and, and, and great stories in my head, you know, I, I need an outlet and, you know, you play basketball three hours a day, four hours a day when you train it. So what are you going to do with the rest of your time? So with me, it was like, I was always watching movies, always watching TV and, you know, always writing. So I wanted to start to prepare myself for a life after basketball. And I think, you know, with the Warriors, you know, it gave me a chance to just really enjoy basketball and then really enjoy, like, my hobby. Right. And then when I got to L.A., you know, basketball was kind of like, basketball became something that I didn't enjoy anymore. You know, and, and it was just... That must have been brutal for you. Yeah, because for me, like, you know, basketball is art for me. Basketball is completely art. It's just a, a freedom of expression. It's a game. It's something that you're supposed to love. You're supposed to bring joy. And that's why I really play the way I play. And, you know, you can ask a lot of my teammates, like, they they enjoy playing with me because, you know, it's just like a, it's a joyful nature and, and, and it's something to help grow people. And, and it was your salvation, yeah, like, I yeah. mean, right? I mean, you t- I've heard you talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it was watched. just like, yeah, it was, the only, it was the only thing that really kept me alive up until that point. And then when I got there to the Clippers, it was just like the life, the life had been sucked out. You were the second worst owner in sports <laughs> is before... Mike Dunleavy was the coach, and right. he was very controlling, and he had a system with uh, that didn't allow for any creativity or or for any you know for any natural flow. It was like you know his way or the highway, and if you deviated and you did something, if you deviated and it wasn't successful, then you were going to hear about it. So it became like you know. It became like almost like someone nagging you. It's not, like, not if it's his son taking the shot, though. That's different. <laughs> then, then it'd be interesting to see his son play for him. Though. What would happen then? Would he be encouraging <laughs> yeah. those forty footers? No, I, no I, I don't. I don't know. I don't think his son would be able to play for him. <laughs> That's really fascinating. What? Uh, what do you think that? Um, what do you think that even like really big basketball fans 
Like, I could say when people who are movie fans talk to me, and I can tell there's a fundamental understanding they can't have. They, we can try, they can watch the shows, but if they haven't been in the editing room or on a set, there are things that's very hard to translate. Like, what do you think we don't get about, like, the coach-player relationship, about what goes on in a locker room? That we, you hear us all say, and you're like, they don't know. Yeah, it's... Um it's personalities, man. You know, it's personalities and learning how you have to learn. It's like work. It's like you go to work every day. You sit behind the desk or you sit in the cubicle and, you know, your friend, you know, your boss may be in the cubicle next to you. And, you know, if your boss all day is just like chomping at you, yeah, chomping at you to do stuff and like looking over your shoulder the whole time, you're going to feel a sense of pressure and you're not going to want to communicate and, you know, you'll get down on yourself because, you know, that's not why you signed up for the job, you know? So I think that, you know, a lot of times with just like inside the locker room, it's, um, it's just a part, it's personality clashes and it's egos. So it's just a matter of like, you know, who's going to outlast or who's going to, you know, win everybody over. And for me, you know, I grew up, I don't have to do that. I'm just going to be myself. And then if you say something and do something that I don't like, and I'm going to tell you about it, you know, and if I do something or say something that you don't like, I expect you to tell me about it. And then we squash it and we move on. But, you know, all the nagging and the bickering and the talking behind, you know, talking to this guy about that guy and that guy, like it was just not something that. I was willing to participate in at that point in my career. Like I wanted to play basketball. I was in LA. I, my mission was like, I need three years here with the Clippers to turn this thing around and make us a playoff contender. And like, that's what I wanted to do. And when I got there, it was just like, okay, you're an artist, you're a painter, you know, you're only painting black and white. Paint by and numbers. Yeah. And yeah. And you're Yeah. Basically. And it's just like, okay. And w why? Why am I doing like why like okay so explain I'm, I'm allowed explain to me like how is this beneficial how are we to, gonna win how is this yeah gonna help how are we win? gonna win like how are we gonna win passing the ball to Chris Kamen down the stretch <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. how are we gonna win if your mission as a coach is trying to make Chris Kamen an all star when he's clearly not the third best player on the team not you know it's just like. What what do I, what do I do? Because if I don't do it, then I'm the bad guy. If I do do it, then it's like, oh, he's not playing hard, or you know, like why did we pay him? And it's like, dude, like I'm like and, and I'm a, in a loss for words because it's like me against the team and the organization. So the rest of the team wasn't with in that situation. Well, it was a lot, as a point guard, you know, it was a lot of like telling this dude to tell that dude or talking to that dude about that dude. Because there were camps within yeah. the team. There were, were there like sort a, of camps within yeah, the and team? Yeah, you know, when, and when you're on a losing team like that and you're a losing team and you're young and you're, and you're used to losing all the time, then that becomes the culture. And so for me, I was always like the outsider because I speak my mind. You know, I was unpredictable. One day I come in and... I come in joking, or the next day it was like, you know... You'd be sullen? I'm, yeah. But why? Because that's just like... It was hard It was hard to get up to go to practice, knowing that even you wouldn't get a... You, you, you're not even practicing. You're not even working on your craft. You're not... Like, I'm not, I'm not coming to the gym, and I'm getting better. So it's true. When people would say, like... What happened? Why isn't Baron Davis playing like Baron Davis? You're saying it's because I wasn't Baron Davis. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't, man. It was just like... 
you know, you are, you know, I, I you know, I came off of 22 points yeah, and eight course. assists, yeah. you know, and I go from that to like 12 or like 13. And it's just like, okay, like something's not right. And, you know, it's just from that point, it was just. And then, then when you were doing that, were you able to, to at least use your time to deal with Hollywood or were you so, yeah, you know, I was just like, if, if it's going to be like, if it's going to be like this. Like I never thought here here we go again. I never thought my career would wind up like this. I thought that, you know, I could come here and like, you know Sure. LA. I knew we were gonna have some struggles, you know, being with the Clippers and all. We were gonna have some struggles, but at the same time, like, man, we can turn this around. You know, like that was my whole thing is we can turn it around. And then once I once I kinda like fell in the matrix with everyone else, it was just like all right, it's just a matter of time before I wanna probably be up out of here because this is not going the way that the way I expect it. So I'm going to get on, you know, I'm going to just pay a little bit more attention to my life after basketball, because this could possibly be it, mm. you know, just the way the media was going with it, the way, you know, all the stories was being skewed. Like, oh, he's not in shape. And it was like, all right, dude, I weighed 222 pounds when I played for Golden State. Now I weigh 215. How am I out of shape? Well, what's great, by the way, just going back to the comeback, is like, who else, what other player has been through all that yeah. would like have Steve Nash making fun of your belly right. and then actually put it in? Yeah. I was like, you could have edited yeah. that out right. and you put it in there playing with sort of what people think Everybody about Everybody say, yeah, because it's all, you know, it's all perception. I remember... Uh, I think it was like my second year or it could have been my third year with the Clippers. And, um, you know, I was just working out and usually I'd, you know, about a month, about a month and a half before training camp starts, I'll start, you know, working out, doing my double days. And I got hurt maybe like a, uh, the week, like a week or two before training camp, I hurt my calf and, um, they brought me in the office and they were like, look, you know, we know you're gonna be you're gonna be out the first week of training camp, so we're just gonna tell everybody that, you know, we decided to hold you out and you weren't in shape. And I was like, dude, I got injured working out training. Like, why would you even put that out in the paper to like start the season? But that's you know. And then you couldn't find a way to go against that. I had given up at that point. It was just like right. I'm tired of fighting and these battles. And if the point guard, I mean, the yeah. center of the team feels that way, it must just have a really corrosive effect, right? And it was just like because, I, but, I was just an outcast, you know, like. And that must, so, I mean, as a as a as a point guard, uh -huh. when you're on a team that's got possibilities, do you give a lot of thought to the psychology? Absolutely. You of have what to. each like, how do you? You have to. You got to get to know. You got to get to like my whole thing is like you got to get to know your players. You got to get to. You got to get to know everybody on the team like if i go to the team i want to get to know everybody from the trainer you know to the 13th man to you know uh the team sec you know the team secretary the travel person because we're all a unit we're gonna all be there and i feel like you know if i can be the, the one that communicates and links everybody together and draws similarities then it's just gonna draw us closer and closer to each other so that must have felt like such a like on so many levels like a failure that you couldn't yeah fight. it was yeah it, must it was, have killed yeah, you yeah it was just like it was a it was a battle that i was trying to fight that i that i really like there was i had no i couldn't set establish any roots anywhere you or any real relationships because you know you're just always did you feel everyone was in like uh, everyone was too afraid for their everybody was worried about their job everybody was worried about their job and everybody was worried everybody was worried about saying something and 
getting caught speaking their truth. And did that come, you think, owner down? Uh, like, is it true that Sterling would uh, uh, heckle his own players? Yeah, he used to heckle me all the time. How would he heckle you? He called me a bastard. He when you're me, during games? Yeah, he called me a bastard. He called me. Uh, how do you how do you process that? He, like, what did you do? Yeah, they call me a bastard. Like, all, all, the devil. Uh, they referred to me as like the devil or uh, like crazy. I mean, he would literally like cuss at me. Like, why are you shooting the f ball? You should stop shooting the. F well, I was like, "What, dude? Like, why are you even He's the owner, game, the owner of the yeah. of the team? I, I never in my life, I never in my life. You must have felt so disrespected and such a deep. When he showed up at, the, if we were in layup lines, and he wasn't around, I'd be in a great mood in the game. And as soon as he walked in the arena, I'd get like the worst anxiety. And I never had anxiety playing. I, I just like I would, I like, I could, I couldn't do it. It was something something about me that was just like it was a struggle inside that was like, yo, I I can't find a way to like I can't find a way to function. Like not with this man sitting here and he's you know, he's just like knowing that he hates me. Like it's like how, how, why am I gonna go out and like give you my all and you know, try and win games when you hate when you hate me. And you don't care. It's weird because fans, you know, you can feel like I have a, an eighteen year old son, so he is his prime years of watching hoop, right? Yeah. You were there. We would watch. I mean, we would turn on games just to watch you play because you were one of our yeah. favorite players. And you would see. I mean, you couldn't know that all that's going on. But yeah. you'd be like, "What's wrong? Yeah, something's What's wrong. What's wrong with Baron yeah. Davis? Yeah, because the guy had such a brilliance in the way he played, <clears throat> right? Such life force. Yeah. And then it was just—it's not an evidence. Could, yeah, way. couldn't t- you couldn't tap into it. And, I, and and you know, you can blame the owner and all that. But I also think that. You know, just the way the system worked is everybody was trying to appease him and people were trying to save their job and save face. So they would say anything, anything to to kind of get by. And, and, and my whole thing when I was sitting there, I was like, look, I'm probably the highest paid play person that this guy who's supposed to be frugal has ever paid in his life. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't he sit and have a conversation with me? And yeah. I would if I was paying somebody that amount of money and, and, and having problems and he was my top, you know, my top employee, you know, uh, on yeah, paper. Yeah, would figure it out. Go, yeah, like, go, go sit, talk to like, him. Go sit a and have a conversation. Men. But it, it, it was never that. There was always, like, these barriers and buffers. And then on top of that, if, if you did talk to him, it was just like talking to him, you know, a he would Muppet. Be, right. Yeah, he would yeah, never give you the yeah. real thing, right? He was thing, delusional. Right? He was just delusional. He was delusional. He, he, he was delusional. So it was like right, and then that, and then you have the, and then you come to another dysfunctional, you know, ending it, ending your career. Well, when I came to the Knicks, not that your career is necessarily right. Over, right. Well, when I came to but, the Knicks, it was different, because um, I couldn't walk. Right. I was hurt. My back was out. Yeah. You know, uh, I was injured, and and they just took a chance on me. So when I got here, it was just work, 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 work. And you know, I was so busy working, you know, uh, and. That happened, and then the whole Lin- well, insanity so I, I thing was at, happened. I was at every insanity. Yeah, game. yeah. And so, explain to me, explain to like just a New York basketball fan, uh-huh. what that felt like in the. What did that? Did you like when that was all happening? When insanity happened? Yeah. It seemed like there was this huge backlash from the team, in a way. Certainly from Mello when he came yeah, back. You know, it's like. Is it that just everyone felt like, look, this kid can't really. Like, everyone's wrong. This kid can't really play. Do you think there was racism involved? No, there was no racism. It was like, it's just he got hot. We were in a lockout season. Everybody was tired. Nobody was in the best shape. And 
Jeremy was young. He's young and he's athletic and he's sneaky and he's a good player. And what happened was, is you know, like people say, he came out of nowhere. He came out of nowhere and he got hot. And he got hot at the right time, especially when, uh, as a team, we were losing and we, were, we, we weren't playing very well. And in D'Antoni's system, a point guard will always look the best, will always be the best player and have the numbers because the ball is in your hand. Look at Kendall Marshall. Right. You know, uh, look at, you know, the Lakers guards this year. You know, Kendall Marshall just earned himself... You know, a roster spot and uh, back on the team in the NBA when he was out the NBA. So, right. you know, with Linsanity. So you think that had a lot to do with it? The system, yeah, which everyone you know, acknowledges. With Linsanity, yeah. it was happening. And, like, you watch somebody go from sleeping on the couch and, you know, working, you know, like, you know, working out with you every day to, like, now he's, like, the big shot on the team. And you're sitting there and you're like, no. This can't happen, dude. This can't happen. Like, that is that is just, that's not the way that this thing should be going. You know, and so... But why? Because we eventually we we, we were going to suck. Like, eventually the the sanity was going to run out. And, and you don't and think that's because when Carmelo came back... It had nothing to do with Melo coming back. It was just at some point, you know... I think we were like Jeremy Lin went on a seven game, you know, a seven game run. We still got fifty games. <coughs> we still got fifty. You know, we still got another fifty games to play. So if we think that this kid is going to replace what Carmelo is capable of doing over the next fifty games, yeah, in New York, everything is in an instant and it's flash and it's yeah. media and you know it, it was a great story because of what he did for the team. But at the same time, you know, you can't hang your hat on, you know, a rookie point guard that you think is going to lead you to the promised land. And I think that that's what, you know, the attention from the world was like, you know, here's this, you know, here's this player who's just like, he has the golden touch. It's like angels in the outfield. Right. But eventually, you know, when we run up against Miami, people are going to be like, all right. I mean, yeah, okay, the Miami yeah, game is really, but the Miami game, it, it felt like. Um, and he didn't want that. Jeremy Lin didn't really. He didn't really. He didn't want that. And I think that what happened was when it started happening for him, it started to change him. And it was a lot of pressure and things that he had to deal with that he just wasn't capable of dealing with. So at any moment, you know, things were going to self destruct if it didn't go back to normal. It was just a lot of media attention. You know, it was a lot of responsibility on him. And it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't fair. And and even though he had a lot to deal with, like everybody, everybody on the team knew we we wouldn't be able to make the playoffs if Carmelo Anthony wasn't playing. You know, like we weren't going to make the playoffs with Jeremy Lin being the best player on our team. Right. All the players felt that way. Yeah. Or the majority yeah. of the locker room. Yeah. But to the, well, to, yeah. the, to the fans. Yeah. I mean. You know, you and and Mello was a was a was a great supporter of Jeremy. So, you know, to the fans, people and the media, they were creating this Mello versus Linsanity and whose team it is. It's like, come uh, on, guys. I, I definitely thought that. Yeah, by the like, way, let's be really realistic. You know, it's like, I mean, whose team is it? Whose team would you want it to be? And if you guys and if people say Jeremy Lin, they they, ha they know nothing about basketball. Well, I know nothing about basketball because I'd say Jeremy Lin because to me, Mello doesn't as an as a fan, Mello doesn't make his teammates better. Right. You made your teammates better. Right. You were a point guard, but to the to the to the to fans watching or some fans, it felt like Carmelo at that time 
really just cared about. Well, we didn't have a point guard. Points. You know what it was? It was it, we didn't have a point guard. I was hurt. Right. Uh, Jeremy Lin was on a ten day one plan. It was Tony Tony Douglas and Mike Bibby, who Mike Bibby was fair in enough. his later really years. Really fair enough. Yes. So and then Shumper was a rookie. So we didn't, and we were playing in Mike Mike D'Antoni's system who thrives on having a point guard to dribble around and create opportunities for other players. So Melo, being Melo, had to basically play the you know, the one, the two, and the three and, you know, he has to score to keep us in the game. Right. So and, there was no uh, there wasn't a lot of playmaking going on because we didn't have a playmaker in the lineup. Once you put Jeremy Lin in as a playmaker then, it, you know, it's just the whole thing because now, like, people are paying attention to Melo and you're forgetting about, you know, Jeremy Lin going to the hole for a layup or passing it to Tyson. And that's that's how D'Antoni's system thrives is in the two-man game. So now, right. you know, having weapons on the floor, it makes it so much easier for the point guard. Right. No, that all makes sense. And we're not going to we have to dwell on it anymore. Yeah. You, you're, you're, you know, you brought... Everything you could bring and got hurt, and it was yeah, yeah, yeah. really you know, a, a drag it was, it was, to all I, of us. I always wanted to play in New York, and I felt like, you know, here's an opportunity for me to play in New York. Even though I'm hurt, I'm going to give it my all because I know that New York fans appreciate just hard work and effort. And, you know, this is like, this is like the mecca of basketball, and I, and I wanted to be here. And I wanted to, you know, sacrifice that. I wanted to give that to the fans. I remember thinking when you were coming here, like, oh, Baron is going to be a filmmaker. I figured you and I would get to know. Like, no, yeah. but then you were here for just such a short day. Never really. <laughs> well, we're here now. now. We we're can here. do it now. <laughs> now. But uh, I'll, I'll leave you on this. I know you have to go. You um, you have a baby now? Yeah, I got yeah, I got one coming. You got one coming. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That's unbelievable. Thank you. That's really a great thing. Uh, and uh, Chris Rock talks about growing up. And, uh, you know, when he was young, kind of hating rich kids, and then now he has them. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about, from your life experience, like, how to take everything you learned? Let's talk about a moment in becoming a father. Yeah. Have you thought about... How I'm going like, to raise how my you're son? Gonna, how, yeah, have you thought yeah. about, like... Yeah. All that? And I go buy a house in the hood, and that's where he's going <laughs> to live. <laughs> yeah. And when he starts acting up, he's going to go start living with his cousin. <laughs> That's it. Great. Because you figure that'll solve yeah, everything. Yeah. And as soon as he can write his name, I'm going to have him sign something that says, you own nothing in this house. <laughs> and, right. Because you're, I mean, so you're 18, completely joking. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you're totally joking. <laughs> but you're a little worried about raising a spoiled, like a spoiled, entitled yeah. kid, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's like when he turns 18, it's like, yo, man, I'm sorry. I gave all your money to the library. <laughs> You know, oh, right. You're signing that screwed. pledge, that yeah. Bill Gates yeah, pledge. Yeah. yeah, he's gonna have to start over. He's gonna have to start over. But you know, I think you know you you do get nervous when it when it comes to like thinking about raising kids. But at the same time, you want to do all the things for them that you didn't get done for yourself. But I, but for me, it's more so. I just want to pay attention. And I just want to be there and give, get, you know, give that love yeah. and give that attention. It's not so. It's not about you know uh, what we have or what we do. Like yeah, we have certain luxuries and certain privileges, but at the same time, you know, it's just like the time that you spend with your kid. You can really have you can have an, an incredible effect on an individual if you're constantly you know teaching them the right things and nurturing them you know the right way and. Of course. Um, so that you know, that's just going to be my mission is 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 to put on my Mister Mister Miyagi, you know, my Yoda hat, and uh, 
and get to the Miyagi work Yoda hat's yeah. a really good one. If you can yeah. wear the, I think Miyagi gi. Yeah, the Miyagi, Miyagi gi, gi and then the Yoda, Yoda hat in yeah. your set. Yeah, totally. Baron, thank you so much for doing this. You know, um, I, I got to say, I think Kate Hudson obviously would have very little to nag you about now. Uh, no, she still will. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it, man. Oh wait, you weren't really abduct, uh, abducted by aliens. Just since people, uh, uh, no man, make I was sure just... people know it because they think you were serious. No, it was just a, it was it was a stupid a I joke you made stupid on a podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah, don't do podcasts. Yeah, you're a superstar. What are you doing? Podcast. I was coming here and I was like, ah, oh, another man, another podcast. podcast. Like, what am I gonna say this time? But it was just a, it was just a podcast. I was trying to be funny, and I was like, hey, you know, I was abducted by aliens randomly, and and I just started like telling the story i'm good at storytelling i thought that i would eventually get a you know a movie or a tv show out of the whole alien abduction and now people just look at me weird now people know you weren't next time we do this <laughs> i want to hear all about who your favorite filmmakers are uh baron is on twitter and has like millions of followers at just baron davis yeah baron underscore davis and i'm brian twitter. koppelman on twitter thank you man thank you i See appreciate ya. it Bye. thank you for listening to grantland to hear more grantland shows in your earballs Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.